Thank you for listening to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care Podcast. The iCritical Care Podcast is copyrighted material and all rights are reserved. Statements of fact and opinion expressed in this podcast are those of authors and participants and do not imply an opinion on the part of the Society of Critical Care Medicine or its officers or members. Your host is the Society's Associate Editor for Podcasts, Dr. Richard Savell. Dr. Savell is the Associate Director of the Surgical Intensive Care Unit at Maimonides Medical Center in Brooklyn, New York. He also is an Assistant Professor of Medicine at the Mount Sinai School of Medicine. To contact the editorial staff of the iCritical Care Podcast with questions, comments, or ideas, please email info at sccm.org. Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care Podcast, recorded on Monday, October 3rd, 2005. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Savell. In today's podcast, we will be speaking with two society members about their experiences responding to the disaster in the Gulf Coast region following Hurricane Katrina. Our guests today are Carol Thompson, Ph.D., CCRN, FCCM, Professor of Critical Care Nursing at the University of Tennessee Health Science Center in Memphis, and Janice Zimmerman, M.D., FCCM. Dr. Zimmerman is a professor of medicine at Baylor College of Medicine, in addition to being director of emergency medicine services at Ben Taub General Hospital in Houston, Texas. Although they were involved with the response effort in different capacities, both clinicians gained valuable and unique lessons from the experience. We are fortunate to have them both with us today on the iCritical Care podcast. I'd like to thank you so much for taking some time out of your busy schedules to be part of the very first iCritical Care podcast roundtable discussion. I'd like to begin uh, with having you both introduce yourselves, if you could, and tell us a little about your roles at your particular institutions. And Carol, uh, why don't we start with you? I'm Dr. Carol Thompson, Professor of Critical Care Nursing at University of Tennessee Health Science Center. I am an acute care nurse practitioner at the VA Memphis. And your major focus there, I guess, both clinical and you have some uh, uh, academic research teaching roles as well there? Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Janice, just introduce yourself if you could. Um, Janice Zimmerman. I'm professor of medicine at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas. And I practice uh, in the county hospital, Bentob General Hospital. And I direct the medicine side of our emergency center as well as attend in the uh, ICU. At this point... What I thought would be most interesting is to hear a little bit about your particular experiences, both volunteering and working with the recovery effort after Hurricanes Katrina and uh, Rita. And for example, and we'll start with you, Carol, what components were implemented well at your institution and locally? What might have been done better? What lessons you feel you might have learned um, that might help us to deal with the inevitable next disaster? We were told that uh, Memphis was to expect 100,000 evacuees. And so that meant the whole community, including the mayor, had to decide upon a plan on how to receive these. But as far as the specific hospitals, they routinely um, meet every week uh, to discuss community um, hospital issues. And so there was already a system in place in order to coordinate uh, such an influx. We were told, uh, uh, like I said, we were going to get 100,000 evacuees, uh, but then we were told we were getting uh, and did receive 40 hospital-to-hospital transfers. 
what happened with those is uh, what was specifically the primary reason for their hospitalization had some influence under which of the facilities in town uh, did receive them. For instance, one of our hospitals does a, a whole lot more dialysis than uh, all of them do some, but one of the hospitals in particular. So that was an example. With regard to um, the what went really well, having the system in place that the hospitals communicated and, and coordinated uh, which patients went where was uh, an absolute wonderful experience. Each of the hospitals in town, unfortunately, have closed units because of nursing shortage. So that meant that uh, we could we had physical place to uh, absorb this this and, and a number of other uh, evacuees into our hospital systems. So it was great that we had, it was good that we had a physical place to put them. Uh, what we then needed was uh, people resources in order to uh, man these extra units. And uh, since uh, nursing shortage was the prominent uh, reason for the units being closed initially, um, my nursing colleagues uh, certainly rallied to this cause, willing to work uh, extra shifts, et cetera, to man that. And so that went really well. Um, as far as uh, immediate response for here's the system and here's how we're going to work. It wasn't just the nurses, though. It was all the team. It was the uh, social worker and pastoral care, and it was uh, the whole group. So I was really very pleased at how uh, the group really rallied for the cause. And can you give us a little bit of a sense of uh, a couple of issues? One, were, were the patients that you received uh, victims uh, of the storm, or were they moving patients out of New Orleans that were already there uh, into your hospital, or was it a mix? Or Can you give us a little bit more about that? Mm -hmm. It was more, more specifically folks who were already hospitalized that I we see. received. However, uh, that, was, that was the initial how we got them. But the evacuees themselves found their way into our town or sometimes were bussed or flown in. And what we had in town was a, uh, a triage area at the uh, Red Cross, dominantly but really multiple places around town, where evacuees were medically evaluated and triaged to where they needed to be. Obviously, some needed to be hospitalized, uh, and it, whether it was uh, physical needs or emotional needs and some needed other kinds of issues. A lot of medication were needing, scripts were needing to be written. It seems and that that's been a common theme uh, in my previous hurricane podcast as well, as people not knowing what meds they were on, needing refills, a lot of, a lot of outpatient needs. Really? I, 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 the medications was the huge one when I volunteered at uh, some of the shelters and uh, some of those evaluation components. How that particular aspect worked, where are they triaged to? Our, our system in town is they were to be triaged to our, what we call our safety net hospitals. And so they really got the brunt of those folks who came from the shelters in. However, working at a VA, obviously vets from the area found their way to the, to the VA. So there were those safety nets as well as uh, certain specific. Some of the hospitals in the area uh, down there are affiliates with uh, ones up here. And so, so there was some of that, that that sort of bypassed that go directly to the safety nets. 
And um, why don't we switch gears for just a moment and perhaps Janice, tell us a little bit, if you can, try and encapsulate for those of us who, who didn't live through it, sort of the two phases of this. One is the influx of victims of the storm and then just a, a bit of a flavor, if you can, paint the picture of then you yourselves are, in, are at risk for, uh, for yet another horrible storm. Well, yeah, it's been a very, I think, a stressful uh, couple of months in uh, Houston, but uh, with Katrina, I think, uh, similar to what Carol described, the community pulled together, and of course, as everyone knows, we had uh, the evacuees brought to the Astrodome, and although they had agreed to take um, quite a few people, they realized we didn't have the space even once they got there, so they opened up our convention center in addition to the Red Cross shelters that were already full. In addition to that, we received people who are in the community but not in shelters. In other words, they had family, they had friends. The estimate is somewhere between 100 to 200,000 new people in our uh, city. And um, our county hospital and my medical school are the ones that really set up the Astrodome uh, medical facilities. And it was kind of uh, a stretch because not only did we still have to cover our emergency center, but we had to cover a new uh, facility at the same time. So everybody put in extra time. Some of my colleagues primarily were at the Astrodome, whereas I and others were primarily at uh, Ben Taub General Hospital because we saw an increase in our emergency department visits as well. Right, that's what I was going to ask. It's a combination of, uh, again, a transfer of people that were already inpatients in New Orleans combined with the influx of people uh, who were injured or became ill in the, in the storm itself. That, that's correct, and there were some, you know, hospital-to-hospital type transfers or evacuations straight to a hospital. Uh, the others that went to the Astrodome, uh, many of them ended up being brought to the various hospitals, and then patients made their way to the hospitals just to get care. One thing that helped us out, I think, is that our um, fire department, our ambulance uh, providers, really took a, a role in making sure that these patients, as they were coming out of the Astrodome needing to be taken to hospitals, were evenly distributed and not just uh, taken all to one hospital. Otherwise, uh, we would have probably been in worse shape than we were. And it sounds like in, in both uh, cities that the EMS really did a good or did uh, attempted to try and coordinate that. Is that a correct statement? Uh, yes, they did. I said, and we are actually are continuing with that um, kind of approach now so that uh, we don't, as we get into our winter months and things, we don't overload any one hospital. So um, it worked well. Whether it's going to continue to work well, we'll see uh, as we go forward uh, in our winter months here. But a lot of chronic illness that we saw, people who had probably pretty poor access to care prior to the hurricane and then decompensated. Clearly, they ran out of medications, and as Carol said, they didn't know what they were on. They didn't know sometimes their diagnoses which made it very, very difficult for many of the physicians to try to figure out what to do for some of these. Yeah, I've, again, I've heard this now, this is the second time uh, that this concept of some sort of national electronic medical record really would have implications for disaster management as well. I think you're absolutely right, because even if we could have found their physicians, which would have been difficult, um, their records were not accessible to them. So I, I agree, we need somehow a better way of transferring information in a timely manner. And Janice, I had a specific question for you. I was watching on the national television, uh, I believe at your hospital or another Houston hospital, the, the issue of batting down the hatches, that the plan is to 
keep people in these major, major hospitals to survive the storm, and that a lot of previous work had been done because of other hurricanes so that hospitals like yours could survive it. And I was wondering, um, A, if you could tell us, did you in fact write out the storm in your hospital and, and what kinds of changes have been made? I believe they discussed things like putting diesel generators up on stilts so that floodwaters wouldn't affect them and, and things like that, if you could talk about that a little bit. Uh, yeah, I think our response to the uh, potential for Rita to hit us was um, certainly tempered by two events in our history. One was uh, Tropical Storm Allison and the floods we had in 2001, and of course uh, Katrina, and perhaps fed a little bit into some paranoia and things that happened. But basically in the medical center, due to the floods in 2001, we had almost every hospital institution had uh, instituted new buildings, floodgates were put into effect, um, generators were moved to uh, secure places, and sufficient fuel supplies were obtained before. And this was true for all the hospitals in the medical center as we went into preparations for RITA, brought employees in-house uh, and with the intent that they would stay for at least 24 hours. So a lot of plans were made. I would say we were very well prepared for RITA uh, if it, in fact, did hit. And one of the parts of that plan was we discharged patients who didn't need to be in the hospital. Anybody that walked in near that time was seen rapidly and discharged. We got help from the city planners who sent our metro buses to pick these people up and take them to a shelter rather than having them become sheltered in the hospital even though they were not ill. So um, we really tried to keep our hospitals open for sick people and for those that might be coming after such a storm. Uh, and I think we prepared fairly well and we have been receiving over the last week still people coming out of uh, Beaumont, Port Arthur here. In fact, I'm in the ICU now, and there's about uh, three Rita victims, as we say, in there, and many of them are transfers from other hospitals or nursing homes. And it's very difficult for these individuals, as they get better, to, to figure out what their next step is. You know, am I going back to a nursing home? You know, I don't want to do that. These types of things. A lot of psychosocial support issues, obviously. Right. Um, did you have to turn sections of your hospital that were not ICUs into maybe makeshift ICUs or expand your ER area temporarily, anything sort of like that to deal with the influx of new people, or were most of those dealt with in the Astrodome? Um, a lot of, well, the ones that would need ICU care and didn't stay in the Astrodome, they came here. They did have a, a kind of a clinic and inpatient area, if you will, for things like the diarrhea, people that just needed hydration, not for complex uh, patient care. Basically, our ICU, all of our ICUs have been full primarily from Katrina on through probably about now we're starting to see some empty beds. What it meant for us is we didn't have any more beds to open up. Carol said they did, but what we are ending up doing is housing our ICU patients in the emergency department uh, for longer periods of time. And then the, where that downstream effect is is that we have to close our emergency department then and go on diversion because of the acuity of our patients and the volume of the patients, and it overwhelms our staff. So it's not ideal, but we've been dealing with it. For our, my ICU, what happens is our residents are then asked to care for patients, not only in their medical ICU, but the ones that are housed in the surgical ICU and our patients who might be housed in our neurosurgical ICU. So it's been uh, stressful for them to be caring for so many patients in so many different places. But your hospital did not have to evacuate itself per se, right, to deal no, with the storm? No, we actually never had any plans. Our sister county hospital during 
Rita lost power, and there was at one time a meeting to decide whether to evacuate. They went on emergency power, mm. but you can only go so long on emergency power. It does not fully support air conditioning to the extent that you need it. So, again, in Houston, as hot and humid as it is, emergency power is great, but you have to realize that it's not a long-term uh, type of support for a hospital. But thankfully, they did get power back, and that evacuation never even went forward. So, no, there were really never any plans to evacuate our hospital. And Carol, to take it back to you for a little bit, you mentioned some of the things that you felt were done well. Um, could you give us a couple of examples of, uh, at your institution and, and your city, things that you thought of might have done been done better, or what happened when there were so many people? Did people get transferred then out of your hospital to other hospitals? Uh, can you talk to us a little, a little bit about that? Uh, yes, I thought that the hospitals really rallied their resources, and some of the things that we did, uh, since we knew that the hurricane victims would have a much broader scope of team needed than, than some of our typical ones, uh, we flagged any of our folks who were um, Katrina or, or Rita victims. We flagged that in the record. Uh, and so that triggered immediately a broad scope of, of consults from social work, uh, pastoral care, uh, the, really everyone was evaluated for post-traumatic stress who had that kind of a flag. A and lot of communication issues, trying to keep people, families in touch with each other, that kind of thing. Oh, it was huge, just huge. That, they, they cared more about was Aunt Susie or Uncle so-and-so, did they make it or not, more so and until that was really addressed, uh, the patients had difficulty focusing on their own needs. Was there sort of... Uh, one or two really uh, sort of powerful stories that you, that you heard there that you wanted to share with us? Anything in particular during your time dealing with this sort of overwhelming flood of, of victims that really uh, really stuck out in your mind? Well, you know, I, saw, I know some people have some specific cases that really stick out in their mind, but to my mind, each one of them had their own special story, and, and it just it ripped your heart as you listened to it, and you tried to deal with it. So that was some of the response for those of us uh, who responded to it. Um, you had to deal with your own stress about it, more so than, you know, we're used to dealing with stress all the time, but this was a different level. And it did you get any different level. any remnants of the storm itself passing through through mm -hmm. Memphis, I guess, or not? We got wind. We got uh, some things down. Uh, but the thing that, to my mind, went um, needs most work is our community coordination. Our mayor said, listen, churches, we need, in order to respond to 100,000 potential evacuees, we need our churches to get together and help respond to this. And they absolutely did. But the problem was there was no coordination between them. So trying to figure out exactly who was here, how to coordinate all those services, was really a... They had an immediate place to go, but they didn't couldn't get resources to all these locations. And so potentially a role for federal, state, and local governments as being as is being debated at the national level at this point. Well, something needs to happen. I got to tell you that right. university tried uh, some to coordinate. They had coordinators for some of these resources, but we didn't we didn't even know where all these pockets of people were. Right. And uh, Janice, I remember you were discussing before some of uh, your frustrations with the. Uh, actual evacuation of Houston itself in the second storm, and I was wondering if you could share uh, some of that, that perhaps, uh, again, in terms of lessons learned for the future, how to deal with this when uh, a city as large as uh, yours has to do that. 
Yeah, and I think our officials are all grappling with this as, as probably we speak. Um, but uh, what we learned, I think, is that you can't order an evacuation of a city, population as large as you have in Houston and the surrounding area, without providing gas and providing open roads. Um, we had, they estimated, 19 deaths last Thursday on the highways here in the county due to primarily heat stroke. These people were stuck and could only move inches within an hour. That was not anticipated, of course. And we also had people that, you know, could not go any further because they ran out of gas and there was none. Particularly, I think, the elderly, the living facilities were told to evacuate, nursing homes. And obviously and an extremely vulnerable population. Exactly. And, of course, the stress of just moving an elderly patient can precipitate, you know, a lot of things, heart attacks and, and other th issues. But when you have, uh, add on top of that, a heat stress, and other factors, it certainly sets you up uh, for other problems. And I think what we've learned is that whether they stay or evacuate, the vulnerable will always be vulnerable. We've got to figure out a, a better way to handle that. I think, you know, the question that everybody's asking is, will people even evacuate next time after this time? They did. They, they had a horrible experience, and uh, we didn't really get the brunt of the hurricane. So now they're worried about the reaction of people the next time around. And I think it's very valid to do that. But again, we, we learned a lot of things. I think uh, some of the things we've done well here, of course, is the organization. But as Carol mentioned, the coordination, I think, always needs to be improved. And even in setting up the Astrodome, it looks like it went very well. But in reality, it was put together piece by piece, somewhat haphazard. There was difficulty organizing the uh, medical volunteers and you it, in a situation like this you have people who want to help that really shouldn't be helping and organizing the volunteers. And why don't you tell us a little bit more, yeah I, I, I guess I had read that before, what, what was your specifics of that? There were people that were interested in helping but that weren't really the appropriate type of person or something? Well we had you know specific needs, I mean um, the biggest issue was for internist family practitioners because most of the issues were medical and you know, again, we had our, our staff that were there, people from our hospital who are used to doing this. And I think what one of my colleagues noted when he was there helping to run the clinic, and he was kind of the resource person, is that unless you are you know have experience in acute care medicine, we found that people were wanting to do, uh, you know, MRIs, you know, from the Astrodome. <laughs> they wanted to work up every detail, and that wasn't the point. It was kind of like stabilize this patient, get them back on their feet, and then let them, you know, give them the tools to, to do what they need to do, whether it be finding home, find their family. I was told in the Astrodome with the diarrhea, they had kind of an inpatient area, but it isolated them from their families. And those people who had recently been lost from their families, even if they had diarrhea, weren't going to see the physicians because they didn't want to be separated. So, I mean, it's interesting little details like that. You don't want to create hindrances to be evaluated by physicians, right. et, cetera, et cetera, The other thing that I thought was interesting is we got a lot of resources in the Astrodome. We had better medical care there than I have in my hospital because it was, you know, very popular. We had a portable CT scan. We had podiatry services. We had dental services, and they were immediate, which was great, but... Now the Astrodome is closed, and we still have these people in our community that need those resources, and yet we don't have them. It sounds like the common theme that I'm hearing from both of you, and I think we're sort of heading towards the, uh, the end here, is that it sounds like at the individual institutional level that disaster plans have been practiced and were able to be implemented quickly. But the more concerning area, and that I'm hearing this from both of you, is communication, coordination, 
and there was a lack of infrastructure in place other than, okay, it's time to evacuate, which was really putting too much uh, pressure on these arteries in these cities to get people out, and which, from what I understand from Janice, may have been in part involved in some deaths as well, separately. Carol, do you have any other comments on, on that sort of a statement? Oh, I absolutely agree to the extent that uh, we're relooking at our nursing curricula here to see uh, what more we need to adjust to make sure that those coordination needs are um, skills are among our students. I'd like to thank you both very much for taking the time to be with us on the iCritical Care podcast. We've been speaking with Carol Thompson from the University of Tennessee at Memphis and Janice Zimmerman at Baylor College of Medicine, Ben Taub General Hospital in Houston, Texas. Unless you guys have any other last comments, I want to thank you very much both for spending some time with us today. Thank you. Thank you. This concludes another special edition of the iCritical Care podcast. Look for future podcasts featuring a wide variety of information important to critical care practitioners, including interviews with authors and discussions with prominent members of the critical care community please check out the podcasting page at www.sccm.org slash podcast. Thanks again for listening. Registration is open for SCCM's 35th Critical Care Congress. Please note the date and location change to January 7th through 11th, 2006 at the San Francisco Moscone West Convention Center. Learn innovative treatments in critical care as well as fundamental business practices to improve your ICU environment, all developed by a multi-professional team of critical care experts. Register today by speaking with a SCCM customer service representative at 1-847-827-6888 or visit www.sccm.org. Don't miss out on this unsurpassed educational opportunity in beautiful San Francisco, California.